Welcome to the 21st Century Schizoid Podcast. Today we are getting hella schizoid with Candace Carpenter. She is a uh, data analyst for a leading tech firm. We'll just say that and leave it at that. Thanks. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Candace. Uh, glad to have you on. It's been a while. Kind of a lot's happened since I last saw you. <laughs> oh my God, so much. It's crazy. <laughs> this country is crazy now, basically. Oh man, seriously. <laughs> but thanks. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me on. This uh, absolutely. Is, this is going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you recently, as recent as a few days ago, you went to a Trump rally here in Austin. Saturday. Saturday, mm-hmm. right? I sure did. What was what was that like? Oh man, it was weird. It was <laughs> it was so weird. I I show up and there's all these guys that are just clearly itching for a fight. I mean, they've got helmets, um, padding, protective gear, sticks, like long sticks, shields even. It it was so obviously it was so obvious that they were looking for a fight. Yeah. And so that made it a little bit of a weird atmosphere. Right. <laughs> and then their speaker was based stick man. Have you ever heard of this guy? I am not familiar. He was sort of a viral sensation online because he um he hit an Antifa activist with a big long stick. <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't know a better way to explain it. That's what happened. And it got, it went viral and people were setting it to music and um, doing all the things that people online do with memes. Right. And he became famous. So he was there talking and he is not what I would call a cool guy. <laughs> he does not like immigrants. He doesn't like uh, SJWs. He says the, Chicks look like dudes and the dudes look like chicks and he doesn't seem to like anyone. He's got yeah. a major chip on his shoulder. Or stick and <laughs> up his ass, maybe he would be yeah. the <laughs> That might be where they really call him stick man. Um so yeah, he was speaking and then they took off. They went on their march and I went on my way. Well, it come I came to learn that they didn't get their fight. They wanted a fight, they didn't get it. So on Sunday, there was a basically an anti-Trump protest, uh, a pro-impeachment rally. And they showed up there looking for their fight. Well, this rally was mostly basically liberal Democrats. <laughs> it wasn't Antifa yeah. at all. It wasn't the anarchists they were looking for, the people that really want to fight with them. Because let's face it, Antifa wants to get into fights just as much as they do. Yeah. So they show up and they just intimidate basically these liberal Democrats that are just like, I just don't like the president. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why you're here trying to beat me up. Right. You know? So it, it's just so weird, you know, and we're at a place in this country where, you know, I posted it. I posted a picture with a guy from the Trump rally online. Um, he was wearing a Roman costume and he had a Kekistani flag. And I thought it was kind of hilarious. I posted it on my Facebook page and it was so controversial. I think I got a record number of comments. Like, I think I'm at like 250 comments now. And keep in mind, Damn. my Facebook page is on lock. My privacy yeah. settings are on lock. This is right. not like a public page. So this is just my friends arguing. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty impressive uh, comment total. I mean, a lot of times you don't see, like probably, you know, the average Reddit post or something like that, you know, doesn't drum up that kind of total so just to compare it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it just goes to show you that everybody is angry. Everybody wants to get into an argument. 
and each side wants to demonize the other side. To to the left, the right, basically, this is what they tell me, the right are fascists, white supremacists, and neo-Nazis, all of them. Right. Um, to the right, the left is authoritarian left, trying to suppress their freedoms and trample on their rights. And SJW culture is just a cover for cultural Marxism. That So... To both sides, the other side is beneath contempt and not worth talking to. So they can't have like any kind of real dialogue with each other right. because they don't even they see the other side as totally contemptible, like just without any kind of moral center. That's how they see each other. And that's kind of where we're at in this country. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a great place to be. Man, the the thing is, can you convince like on either side really are like. Are the argument like is lo- is a logical reasoned argument gonna w- win out in the end? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, what I, I, mean? I kind of don't think so because each side has a frame of reality that is. Yeah, it's like they're very, in diamet- they're diametrically opposed. I mean, they just almost believe there's a. I don't know how to explain this very well. So, each side has a paradigm in their mind for how the world is. They have, right. like an. Uh, sort of they're based in different realities and when you're when you have a separate set of truths you can't find common ground in which to communicate does that make sense yeah absolutely i i definitely agree with that statement i mean i honestly i don't think there's any kind of logical argument i mean my parents are trump voters um you know i've got people that i you know maybe didn't vote for trump but they're I don't know, more or less like a supporter to some extent, you know, maybe not like they're going to be attending his rallies and whatnot, but you know what I mean? They're more on that side of the aisle than, uh, you know, Democrat or any, you know, any real leftist type ideology or what have you. So I don't know if I could convince them with any kind of reason, sustained argument. And I mean, I kind of, you know, I'm my sympathies lie a little bit more with, Antifa to some degree in comparison, you know, in, in this battle. Um, but, you know, like as you said, like you, you very astutely point out is like once there's the element of violence gets in there, you know, eh, I don't know. I do like that the Antifa is taking the battle to the, I mean, they're not just sitting there, you know what I mean? It's praxis. They're out there getting their hands dirty. And I don't think that the you know, the right or the oligarchs or whomever is going to give up power without a fight. Yeah, I can see that point. I just, I just question what it's really achieving. Right. I, I think that, so there is a crisis in this country with, with uh, poor white people, middle-aged men, their mortality rates have risen dramatically since the 1990s. And it's suicide, alcoholism, opioid addiction. It's basically a crisis amongst poor white people because they feel hopeless. They don't have jobs. They, you know, a lot of jobs have disappeared. And Trump, being the, <laughs> being the horrible pandering salesman that he is, he promised them jobs. He promised them hope. And he lied to them. I mean, I think we both know that. I, th- I think maybe a more effective strategy for getting those people back on our side is to actually 
is for the left to actually start giving a shit about poor white people and stop just constantly telling them, well, you have so much privilege. I don't know why, why you can't, you know, right. like, just get a job. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel like the rise of kind of the social justice movement and maybe that political correctness has overreached to some degree. You know what I mean? And it really kind of, I mean, as a white male, as the oppressor class, you know what I mean? It's like, it puts me in a weird space because, you know, people, feminists don't want me speaking on behalf of women. Um, black people don't want me speaking on behalf of them and what have you. And that's fine. I, I respect that position that they have uh, based on their experience. But it does kind of throw me into a weird space. And, you know, I happen to be pretty left wing. And so I'm able to, you know, I don't let it bother me. But I'm sure if you were you know, you're red-blooded American, you know what I mean? I think it does push them to the right to some degree. But at the same time, it's like, if you're a fucking racist, what am I, you know what I mean? Am I going to just accommodate your shitty opinion? You know what I mean? It's just, there's that give and yeah. take. I don't know what the, yeah. what the real solution is. I, and that's a fair point. And I think a lot of them actually are racist. I think they're placing blame in the wrong place right. uh, they think that the reason they don't have jobs is because they all went to china or mexicans came here and took them it's like no you don't have jobs because you've been screwed over by the elites like that's the part that they're not seeing they're they're blaming people of color so yeah there is definitely an element of racism it's an intractable problem and i don't think i have the answers right <laughs> you know it's very difficult um because that's the thing is like the, I think the ideology of capitalism is the default, right? That's like the default operating system in America is, you know, free markets, you know, if you work hard, you get rewarded and, you know, there's a meritocracy and whatnot. And so many people have bought into that, you know, maybe at one time that existed for um, white Protestant males or what have you in the 1950s. <laughs> But it's not like that's ever, like, the, our understanding of history is kind of totally based on bullshit to begin with. And it's only accelerated, you know, since the 1970s with the explosion of, of the neoliberal agenda. Globalization, right, right. outsourcing, you know what I mean? Yes. Consolidating capital in, in huge amounts. I mean, to where one company can destroy the entire global economy, you know, that's so just like... This uh, issue is only getting wor worse, worse and worse with um, AI and automation. Seriously. I mean, oh gosh, I wish I had the statistic, but a huge number of people are employed in this country. Like one of the few working class jobs that are left for people is truck driving and driving just in general, like different types of driving. Um, that will go away. What right. are all of those people going to do? And if you're talking about people in their 50s, it's really hard to make a career change at that age. It's, right. It's like, are you if you're in your 50s, are you going to go back to school and learn to become a software engineer? <laughs> right. I mean, really, like, it, it's not easy. And then retail workers, that's, Walmart is, is the, are they still the biggest employer in the U.S. at this time? I don't, I don't even know. At one time they were, and maybe they still are. But they, uh, AW, I'm sorry, Amazon is working on, fully automated stores right. like you pick up the item you want and when you walk out the door a scanner senses it and then automatically charges you for it and you know the time when you don't need retail workers is coming it's not that far off in the future so 
this issue, it's it's just getting worse. It's not getting better. I mean, a, a lot of, uh, particularly out of Silicon Valley, people are coming up with the idea of universal basic income to combat this. I don't think that's gained a lot of, you know, it hasn't really broken to the mainstream media all that much that I'm aware of. But I know, you know, people like Elon Musk and others have been bringing up that as a way to combat that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I, the the libertarians, the free market, you know, advocates are just going to say, you know, that's that's good. This is creative destruction. Those people will be able to, you know, find some other skills and maybe maybe start a new business. Right. That's <laughs> the market will just solve all this massive uh you know, unemployment situation. If you gave someone that has no job, no prospects, if you gave him a basic income and they're not talking about a lot of money, they're talking right. about like twenty, twenty-five thousand $25,000 a year. And I wish I could remember the math, but it's actually, when you look at it on an annual basis, it's not nearly as much money as you think it would be like multiply $20,000 by the population of America. It's right. really... And you would get rid of a lot of other programs and you could actually have cost savings with this. Uh, and some experiments have shown that it lessens burdens on the police force and hospitals. So um, I, I'm not really educated on that topic enough to really speak to it too much. But what I would like to ask libertarians is why do you not believe that if you gave someone a very meager income, they wouldn't take that and use it to try and start their own small business? Like if if somebody that has nothing was all of a sudden given $20,000, they're not going to be satisfied with just $20,000. I think they would use that as a boost to try and find other side hustles to, <laughs> to um, figure out ways to make more income. Right. Yeah. Cause you could you're probably not going to, I mean, on a UBI that, I mean, that's pretty much scraping by for mm -hmm. a, you know, for a family, certainly. Even yeah, a, no, even not, a two income, you know, a lot of money. even a two person, you know, two income household that's collect. I guess I would assume it would be based on individuals, or yes, is it based on households? Um, and everybody gets it, including millionaires, and that's part of the. That's actually part of the conservative argument: is this is not like a means based welfare program, so everybody gets it. And I would imagine if you have literally nothing, zero money you are not going to start your own business. You can't, you just are tr scraping <laughs> by to survive. Like give them, just kick them a little bit of money and see what they can do. I have a little bit more faith that people would do good things with that. Yeah. I mean, I think like anything, it's going to be, there'll be people that are worse off <laughs> than they are now because they'll, you know, they'll find ways to squander it. And there will be those that use it to pull themselves up by their uh, those those cappy cappy bootstraps, <laughs> the cappy bootstraps. <laughs> and get things rolling with with some type of business That's venture. Hilarious. Cappy, yeah, cappy bootstraps. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just I just came up with that shit. <laughs> I love it. I'm gonna use that from now on. Oh yeah, I've been, I've been on Reddit. I've been getting into the lefty subs. So mm -hmm. like, anar anarchism, the anacom. Um, communism, socialism, like all of them, late stage capitalism. Mm -hmm. I'm I just joined neoliberal the other day just to get. I wanted to get a <laughs> sense of what those guys were saying. Mm -hmm. So, I've hey. been going down a lot of rabbit holes online <laughs> with with the conservative side. I'm trying to figure out what they're about, and 
I, you know, there's a lot of YouTube commentators, a lot of activity on Reddit and 4chan and Twitter. And I, what I've noticed is that the cool thing is to be really extreme and to demonize the other side and to attack the other side. And that is fun and entertaining. If I was to start, I'm just going to say, I feel like if I started a YouTube channel where I called myself like based feminist or something, <laughs> and I wore like a push-up bra and a low cut top, and I just criticized and attacked feminists all day, I think people would eat that up. You know, like oh, here's yeah, a woman like attacking feminists. She's <laughs> super, you know, like super hardcore. And I would get so many views on my YouTube channel, I could possibly even monetize it. Like it could be a little side hustle for me. There's there's an actual financial incentive to be like this. Now, if I tried to do a YouTube channel where I was just like reasonable and <laughs> nice and moderate, that's boring and nobody's going to listen to that. Yeah. You know? That's true. So I think there's actually monetary drivers behind this extreme culture on the internet of of taking a side and hating the other side but you know what i what i detect in there maybe it's my lefty spider sense of, uh i heard some maybe some hesitancy about the effect eh, efficacy of markets maybe distilled down to youtube but basically you're saying the 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 profit motive would determine your content instead of but instead of the opposite which i yeah. think is the intended <laughs> pathway right if i wanted to make some if i wanted to make some money on youtube i would do what i think is going to be the most popular going to get the most views right because the more views you get the more you can monetize your content so the market driver there is is driving you to do something that's really kind of shitty <laughs> <laughs> right i mean I mean, that's one of my biggest criticisms of capitalism is that it incentivizes, you know, greed. Shitty behavior. And, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you take, you know, even if your argument that humans are inherently greedy and selfish creatures, you know, then you like push them even for like, let's incentivize this natural inclination. I don't know. It's like, it seems backwards. I feel like we should de-incentivize the natural, like the worst parts of our animal nature you know what i mean let's like mm -hmm. let's suppress that some you know what i mean to some degree or maybe mm -hmm. suppress is you know obviously the right will jump on that suppress language <laughs> like you pointed <laughs> out right well I, I don't think it's that humans are shitty and evil i think it's that the evolution instilled biological truths about us or that's the wrong word but Evolution instilled things in us that no longer serve us well. Right. Like, for example, the human brain has a negative bias because back in tribal days, you know, if you were constantly scared of danger, you're going to look for the predator that's going to try to eat you. And if you're constantly paranoid about everything all the time, you're going <laughs> to be looking out for the lion in the grass, you right. know, and that worked very well for us. Uh, until now. And so now it's like this negative bias where we're just constantly looking for enemies and constantly seeing the worst and everything. It, it's just not um, serving us in the conditions that we all live in today in 2017. Right. I don't know what, I don't know how we 
overcome that? I mean, education. Education certainly helps a lot because you can't overcome your lizard brain. Or like <laughs> your, you know, your the more um, the more sort of ancient parts of your brain that drives some of the worst behavior. You you can't overcome that with education. Yeah, I mean to some degree, but it's like, are we willing to? I f- it feels like that it's too late. Like we've we've crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> and there's no, there's no retreat. It's like we're gonna just we're just barreling forward without a conductor on this train, and it's gonna dry. You know, eventually we're gonna run out of tracks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's no way to slow it down at this point. That we're you know we have so much inertia and so much speed, and there's so much mass that even trying to reverse course is gonna take. You know, what I mean? it's kind of like driving a boat, right? It's like you can't, it's not a car. You can't just like flip it around. It's like you've got to slowly, you know, turn. It takes time. You've got to do some anticipation. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you and I don't have the answers for how to fix it. <laughs> I mean, I can notice it and talk about it, but I really don't have any good ideas about what we do. It's pretty intractable, unfortunately. There's... um there's just a lot of things about human nature that's difficult to change. What do you think about, uh, there's a couple of points that have happened probably over the weekend that I want to get your opinion on. Um, the first being these post, I don't know, these rallies that Trump has been holding, not like, you know what I mean? Not these kind of organic ones. I don't know if that, but the ones that he's actually like sponsored, like this is, this is a, a rally for my supporters that he attends and speaks at. That's that's weird, right? And it's absolutely, just me that I'm weird. like no, I find it's absolutely it absolutely weird. <laughs> I find it incredibly like that's getting really into authoritarian type like that's a legit step. Like that's not alarmism. <laughs> that's weird. That's fucking weird. I 100% agree that's it's very weird. And it he's I'm my assumption and I could be wrong. My assumption is that he's almost still having to campaign. Because he's he is edging towards impeachment if he continues with his behavior. But if he can rally the troops, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm about to veer off into conspiracy <laughs> territory. Like, if he can Fuck make it. sure he's got his brown shirts, you know, like, <laughs> coming right. to his support. That I, I don't really think like that. But, you know, those are the kinds of images that come to mind when someone's continuing to have rallies after... They've already been elected president. That's fucking weird, man. Imagine if, could you imagine the outcry from like Fox News if Obama had held up post? I mean, oh my god, they would have fucking shit themselves. They would have gone insane, like totally batshit insane. I seriously, that is not a joke. (laughs) So that is, that's maybe the most alarming development. Maybe this, the next thing that I want to bring up to you is is also along those lines. But these are two the things that I think are really getting a little crazy. Number two is like this election commission that is hitting up the states for, for voter data. Like they want your name and address and the last four of your social and whatnot. And even our insane, <laughs> uh, you know, state government in Texas refused to comply fully with the information they were seeking. That is legit authoritarian shit right there man that is not even conspiracy that that's just prima 
fa- <laughs> what's that word prima facie yeah case of of authoritarian action i mean that is that's fucking al- those two things together that is super alarming it's that's you know everybody's jumping on the bandwagon with this like the trump like wwf thing <laughs> but this shit is like naked crazy kind of i mean mm-hmm. jesus christ it, i don't even know <laughs> i don't even know what to say or hey, do speaking of authoritarian governments that is a good segue to talk about the handmaid's tale yeah let's do it <laughs> if you wanted to <laughs> lighten up a little bit <laughs> yeah we're gonna lighten it up with some dystopian <laughs> fiction really really uh uplifting stuff so uh what do you know about the handmaid's tale have I you know- heard anything about that I mean, a lot of people at work, or you know, there's a lot of water cooler, quote unquote, talk about the handmaiden stairs. <laughs> you know, uh, me being a a white cisgendered male, I I, I don't really delve into that mm-hmm. into that feminist <laughs> cinema too much. <laughs> but no, uh, on a serious note, I I've heard a lot about it from people at work and stuff, but I, I never got into it for some reason. I had this misunderstanding or miss. I thought it was some kind of like period piece about i don't know for some reason like conflating it with memoirs of a geisha or something well, like that for some reason would make you think that yeah. they're based on uh puritan era costumes right so that that's not a totally crazy thought you had there in gilead which is the dystopian society in the book they base a lot of their their visual aesthetics on an earlier simpler time the, the Puritans. <laughs> Make you know? America great again. Because Puritans, they didn't do anything bad. They were just like really pure. nice guys. Yeah, they're super pure. But so uh, The Handmaid's Tale is a book written in, I believe, 1985 by Margaret Atwood. And I've read it several times uh, when I was younger because not even so much for the feminist bent, but for the dystopian fiction part right. of it, because that is my genre. I am a post-apocalyptic dystopian future person That's oh yeah my genre. Oh, those are my genres yeah. yeah me too and i can totally get on board <laughs> with that awesome so that's what i read it for i read it several times i also watched the 1990 movie the handmaid's tale which when i look at it now it's hilariously dated i mean it's supposed to be it's supposed to be serious a serious feminist film but like the the bad lady, they call them ants. She's got huge hair and shoulder pads, and it's really difficult <laughs> to take it seriously now. It's just so dated. Um, yeah. But I, back in the 1990, I didn't know it was going to be dated in the future, and I thought it was a great movie. So, um, so they, they, Hulu made an adaption for, for their um, streaming service. I want to call it a channel, but it's not really a channel. It's a streaming service. So they made an adaption and. The performances are fantastic. I mean, it's it's a really good film. And the premise is, I'm sorry, it's a really good series. So the premise is that Gilead is this authoritarian government that, like I said, they want to revert the society back to more traditional values. And they have this weird form of Christianity that they um, force everyone to adhere to. And part of one of the things that they do is they, they take the fertile women and uh, make them live with leaders, these leaders of the society called commanders. And basically they get raped every month when they're fertile in an effort to try to increase the population because there's a population crisis going on in the U.S. The U.S. has been at civil war for a long time. There's tons of pollution. 
um, and birth rates have plummeted, and it's kind of at emergency levels. So basically, this this regime is using uh, a, like a weird version of Christianity to sort of morally justify raping these women, and that's kind of the, that's the premise of the show. I, man, I like the light stuff, you know. <laughs> I like the beach reads. Right. Um, so the show is great. Um, I really like it a lot. The performances are amazing. The costumes are amazing. But I do have a criticism of the show. Um, a male friend of mine watched it, and he just felt like the show was saying men are bad. Like, that that's basically the point of the show is that men are bad. And I think where the show went wrong is they didn't do enough to give the background that made Gilead possible. The war, the pollution, the, the um, I think there was a nuclear disaster that happened. Um, all this, all this economic... I'm sorry. You're going to have to edit this out. (laughs) There's all of this environmental devastation. The world is totally fucked up um, and totally unstable. So the reason why a regime like this was able to even come into power is because they were bringing some stability and also trying to trying to resolve this low birth rate crisis. The show didn't do enough to set up the backdrop for Gilead coming into power. And so then the message just is seems like oh uh, men just want to like rape women. <laughs> you might would have to watch it to tell me if you would agree with that assessment. And I know you haven't seen it yet, but yeah, man, I don't have a I don't have a Hulu subscription. <laughs> I think is the that's like the biggest barrier to entry there for me. But I know, I mean, Margaret Atwood is like, I mean, she's fantastic. She's, she's an amazing a, author. Definitely, you know, I that's kind of my my jam when it comes to reading is sort of the literary fiction genre you know what I mean so I've definitely heard her name bandied about on mm-hmm. in discussions on on writers and whatnot so she's definitely got her bona fides I think as far oh, absolutely. as absolutely absolutely she's amazing and she's insightful and the book is it's just incredible and I think I mean going back to the point I was making earlier about the show is one of the points of the book is to say that when things get bad enough, you can have these sorts of totalitarian regimes take over. They are usually, it's like ISIS. ISIS has had a lot of success by going into places that are really fucked up. And the people there are just like, you know what? If they can just bring some kind of order and stability, we'll go ahead and accept your crazy, crazy law. Right. And and it can happen. And, I, and that's part of the point of the book. And everybody suffers. It's not just the women. It's also the men as well. They're sent off to what they call the colonies, uh, which is basically a place where you go clean up nuclear waste until you die. Oh, yeah. So it's sort of like uh, the gulags. (laughs) Gulags? Yes, gulags. 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 Um, So uh, these authoritarian regimes can come to power if you let things get bad enough. And I, I don't know. And so a lot of people online have sort of compared the show like, oh, it's so timely because Trump's America. It's so timely. And I thought that was a bit of an exaggeration. I'm like, really? That's kind of extreme. But if you actually think a few years into the future where you have mass unemployment because the jobs are either shipped off or automated and you have massive, massive unemployment and social instability, maybe it's not such a crazy 
thought? I mean, I absolutely, not only, I mean, we've got a number of things that are working against us, right? So we've got automation looming, we've got environmental factors looming, and that's going to displace millions, maybe billions of people, and the poorest among us are going to feel the effects first, and certainly those in the global south, for example, are going to be impacted right away. I mean, think of a country like India, um, you know, sort of <laughs> those areas where there are just billions and billions of people. Right on the coastline. Millions and millions of, of, of poor folks there. And many of their biggest cities are on the coastlines, right? Right. Where and the sea levels are going to rise. And it's just going to be, that is going to be, that's the greatest threat, you know. But then we also have, you know, the potential of artificial intelligence, the singularity and whatnot. And I don't know, you know, what, I'm not steeped enough in that technology or what have you. But that's all, I mean, that's further down the road. But that's another threat that's out there looming existentially. I mean, some of some of the stuff, the automation stuff and the artificial intelligence stuff is actually not as far down the road as you might think. Like I said, Amazon had piloted a retail store with uh, with no staff. Well, I think too that is it not? Uh, it's like Netta Porter or Ukes. Uh, it's Ukes. So it's like a partnership with Netta Porter. And their warehouses are fully automated. Mm -hmm. So it's got a robotic arm that goes to X address and retrieves that package. And I guess flops it on an assembly mm -hmm. line and then it gets shipped out. This thing is just going to happen. It's going to gain steam because there's a huge, there's a huge financial incentive for companies to cut down on their workforce. I mean, as a data analyst, I, I can tell you, if you look at any, Bodies, um, anybody's budget, the biggest part of it is their employees. Right. That is by far their biggest expense. So there's huge financial drivers behind developing all of this technology. Yeah. That's that another place where capitalism is kind of screwing us. Man, the man's always keeping us down. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there are so many contradictions within the system itself that are just unsustainable. It's just like, uh, I was thinking, uh, all right, I read an article the other day about uh, kind of historical materialism and what I thought was the one of the kind of biggest ideas and takeaways for me w was it kind of talked about how socialized production has become, right? So do, I mean, think about the division of labor in our modern economy and how many people it takes to produce a, a good or a service, mm -hmm. right? Like Amazon, for example, how many people are involved in, in the service? It's a huge amount. It's a social process. Mm -hmm. But all of the benefits from this social process or the majority of the benefits are funneled to the, you know, to the capitalists, right? The to the owning class mm -hmm. instead of instead of the workers and the workers are the ones socially creating the value. And then the cap capital just comes in and extracts that additional value for itself. And that, that made a lot of sense because I think, you know, capitalists or the inclination is to like, they want to, it's all, it's all individual based. It's like, if you, you worked hard and you did this while ignoring, you know, the, maybe the social infrastructure, like highways and interstates, 
XYZ that they use to get goods to market or whatever have you, right? So they wouldn't be able to reap the profit without this social process, without right. actual consumers mm -hmm. consuming their goods. So it just doesn't, to me, that under that context, this ability for capital or the, the bourgeoisie owning class to reap all the benefits is, you know what I mean? That just kind of undermines that their, their authority mm -hmm. in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is why I have a, this is why I disagree with libertarians is I think they're overly idealistic. They believe that the market is just going to take care of everything. But no, <laughs> what you're describing is the environment that is created by the market. Right. I mean, if you have a situation where there's nobody that can afford products, how are these oligarchs going to make their money that's the that's where i'm confused is they're gonna they want um to not any have any kind of basic income for everyone and they want to automate all the jobs and then they want to sell all these products well who are you going to sell your products to i it i don't know what i wish a libertarian was here to sort of break this down for me <laughs> right i mean so they want what what they've been able to do for successfully over the past probably 30 or 40 years is outsource their labor to, you know, overseas where the costs are so low that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even though we've lost so much of our production production capacity within the U.S., um, the goods have been able to be produced cheap enough that it's kind of achieved a sort of equilibrium, mm -hmm. uh, not to mention simultaneously with the growth of neoliberalism and outsourcing and all of this stuff that we're talking about, you have the explosion of consumer credit as well. So, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like people, everybody's in debt. Everybody's <laughs> in debt. Exactly. Including me <laughs> <laughs> buying these products that the, mm -hmm. you know, basically also, that's another thing is like, it's creating this false demand for a bunch of shit that we it's really inessential. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I always, I've been using this, example of like deodorant or shampoo or something like that you know what I mean because it's pretty everybody can relate to going to the store and picking out your shampoo how many fucking brands of shampoo are there right <laughs> it's like jesus christ there's like 50 60 i mean there's hundreds of brands of shampoos right how much energy and productive capacity xyz environmental resources are going into creating these fucking mm -hmm. products that are all doing kind of the same shit like and the hilarious part is we're, we're so, marketing is so psychologically manipulative that we all buy into the idea that we need to have our very own special shampoo. Like, I know, right. I, I'm going there and I'm super picky about, <laughs> I'm like smelling each one, like which one is for your straight hair? You know, it, <laughs> it, 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 they're probably all exactly the same with or just different scents and different packaging, you know? I think margin, probably like, this maybe there's some statistical significance maybe not like very i would say very probably very little like a lot very less, little difference yeah <laughs> less difference i'm not i'm not saying that there's no difference but i would say there's probably very little difference mm -hmm. and in the ult when it comes to cleaning your fucking hair right mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. not like this is the most complicated process right you know what i mean hair is fucking protein and what you know some oil mm -hmm. whatever right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And then it gets even worse than that. There's these 
digital fantasy products that people pay money for. Like people, there's this dragon game, I cannot remember the name of it, but people will spend money in this game for a dragon. It's not even, like it's not a real thing. They're, <laughs> they're not paying for a real thing. It's just an avatar in a game. And I know one guy said he spent like $1,000 on dragons. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I mean, so people are spending money on things that don't even re- exist in reality. Yeah. They don't have, man, that's go. That's like hyper real shit. I know, right? That's some it's hyper crazy. reality. And man. It's I, crazy. Or That actually kind of brings up a good point. Are you familiar with, I think you should check out Baudrillard. Are okay. You, Jean Baudrillard, uh, his ideas, particularly with like simulation, simulacra, and hyper reality, are like they feel so so relevant okay. right now. I'll, I will check that out, uh, and then I won't sleep for the rest <laughs> of my life. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it's just cr- it's just basically what happens is so you have, in in this sense, so like a dragon is not a creature that ever existed, right? right. In in reality. Mm-hmm. But we have representations of them. So we have simulations of them. Mm-hmm. So even like a, a, the likeness of a dragon, like if I made a ceramic dragon, right, that would be a simulated version of this idea. Right. And now it's like your example, that's further getting abstracted into now we're not only, we're not even creating a physical representation, we're creating a virtual representation mm-hmm. of an idea mm-hmm. and that is sort of kind of what the idea of hyper reality is or simulation simulacra mm-hmm. it's like there's no like what is the what is the true form of a dragon mm-hmm. does that does that make any sense or am, am i just tr- <laughs> making you cross-eyed form of a dragon I, maybe i don't quite understand so, that part so it's like the all right a dragon has never existed in mm-hmm. reality right but it's kind of an archetype right like a dragon is psychologically real or genuine right yeah in in that sense but there's no real right there's no actual there's no actual dragon in (laughs) physically in our reality that exists Mm -hmm. but we can create the simulation of the idea Mm -hmm. of what one what might look like or Mm -hmm. is or what have you and these a dragon is a symbol and symbols like this they're pretty psychologically powerful aren't they I mean, this is, God, this is going to sound so cheesy, but if you just think about the the very classical image of a knight slaying a dragon, that is a sort of archetype that is a, an effective man in the world conquering his enemies. And in this case, the enemy is probably symbolic of of things that, I would have to be more educated to even be able to explain. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, it's. I think it's an image that that can have some pull on your psyche. There's other things. I don't know, like dumb things like unicorns. I like unicorns. I don't know why. Like, what does it represent? I mean, it's a horse with a horn on its head. But <laughs> it, it, there's something, you know, there's something feminine about it. There's there's something that appeals to me um, as a woman. I. And I think this is some deep psychological <laughs> shit that I'm not even going to try to get into because I'm not qualified. Right. So, Or has the market, like, have you been, has reality fucked with you and put that image in your head so that you identify with 
I'm that's the inter- I'm that's to me more, that that's the interesting mm-hmm. question like wh- what you're talking about it's a, I'm not gonna even discuss the re- relevancy of you know what that feels like for you or your personal interaction with it but like what are the social conditions at play there are there so you know what I mean like what's at play I think there's something else going on I don't know. I think we're getting into some deep psychological <laughs> stuff here, and I'm I'm not really qualified to speak on. But I, I there is one thing I do know. Um, this digital content plays on your when you purchase something that's not real, like the dragon. It pings the reward center of your brain the same as it would have if you had purchased a real product. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And. So in that sense, you are, it feels real in your brain. It feels like you're actually purchasing a real thing as far as your brain chemistry is concerned. That's kind of like very somewhat alarming to me. I don't know. (laughs) Our brain's messing us up again, Cooper. It's that evolutionary thing I was talking about. Like we just aren't prepared. We're not evolutionary prepared for the environmental conditions that we live in now in the modern world. Oh, I absolutely think. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the hyper real is if you think about the amount of information that we are bombarded with on a daily basis from all sources, even just interacting with the physical world, driving down the street, like think of how many messages and images and symbols you encounter just driving down like Lamar. For example, Mm -hmm. there's fucking, there's businesses, there's Mm -hmm. apartment complexes, there's billboards, there's stop signs. It's like fucking symbols exploded Mm -hmm. everywhere, right? We need these to navigate the world, right? To some degree, (laughs) you know what I mean? There's got to be like a practical way to navigate, but even at that level, but then you take that and now with smartphones and digital media, it's even further. It's like now everyone's like, now people are fucking can't drive because they're too busy checking their mm-hmm. Twitter or their Instagram or Snapchat, Facebook, all mm-hmm. of these different things. Like they're simulating like Facebook is simulating uh, a social life or in social interactions between people. And this is the dark side of big data. That is a commodity. All of those inputs that you're describing in social media and Snapchat and Facebook and everything else in your searches Those are data points, and those data points have value, uh, mostly to advertisers, but maybe to other people as well, researchers or just people doing market research, but mostly to advertisers. So that's another thing that's incentivized is for Facebook to make the interactions you have with its app so addictive that you can barely stop yourself from, from interacting with that app because that's how they make their money. Right. I mean, I think the Trump, I read some research that the Trump campaign actually utilized big data in this way to, they could basically from, you know, a certain amount of posts, maybe 30 posts, they could figure out your religious affiliation, your, what your age demographic was, your race, your income, education level, like all of these different things. And then they drove content to those specific people, mm-hmm. knowing what the trigger points would be, if that makes sense. Th- that absolutely makes sense. And data scientists, that's what they do. Right. <laughs> and that it, it's kind of scary when you really start to think about it. Um, th- I One thing I know 
after working in technology for so many years, one thing I know is that nothing we do online is truly anonymous. Like our, we leave a footprint everywhere we go and those footprints say things about us, about what we like, about what we're into, you know, about what our political beliefs are. And you can use that information to basically, I don't know, do like social manipulation. Yeah, like fucking PSYOP type level. Yeah, exactly. We're getting super fucking Mm -hmm. uh, conspiracy theory there. This isn't even a conspiracy, man. This is happening. I mean, it sounds conspiratorial, but... (laughs) But when you actually work in technology and you learn more about what's being done, it it gets creepier and creepier all the time. You know, know, this is something that I've... I did a paper in grad school on... uh, Kind of how, at the time, this was like 2008, 2009, 2007 era. So really, like, the new media, the social media platforms were really still kind of in an emergent phase. Um, But there was this corollary idea. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeremy Bentham. No. He's like, I believe, English philosopher of some note. Anyway, so he created this idea of uh, the Panopticon, which is a, a design for a prison. Um, so the design for the prison was that there was a central spire in the middle of the prison. And... It sounds like some dystopian shit. <laughs> oh, right? it absolutely. It's fucking... <laughs> I would uh, probably be into it. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, there's a central tower where the guards or the, whomever, you know, mm-hmm. runs the facility can spy on any of the inmates at any time because the in, uh, they're surrounded by the inmates. There's There's windows on all the cells. So from a central point, they can monitor all of those and the inmates never know when they're being monitored. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're always on edge about like mm-hmm. whether they're being monitored. So it's kind of like now we're in the digital panopticon where we know we're, <laughs> we're always being monitored. Right. To some degree, you know, it's like now they can, the CIA or NSA can tap into your phone and like mm-hmm. the fucking speaker on your phone and mm-hmm. record you or use the, uh, the the cameras the cameras on your tv yeah. like there's all kinds of shit it's like let me tell you it's a pervasive story. i was at lunch with a friend and i was sitting on a stool and i'm i've got bad posture and i was just like slouching and i told my friend verbally at lunch i just told my friend man they somebody needs to make some kind of wearable tech that tells me to sit up straight when i'm slouching <laughs> that would be a great idea and i go back to the office i i look at facebook Guess what I saw? A Kickstarter for wearable tech that tells you to sit up straight. I am not, I am not kidding you. I did not search it. I did not anything. I just verbally said that to a friend of mine and I'm like, this fucking microphone. <laughs> I'm so paranoid. Right. You and know, I have, I should get rid of the Alexa. I have an Alexa in my house. I, I, I just wonder how much <laughs> they're picking up, you know? Right. Or like it's it's not only is it the corporate you know corporations that you have to worry about too. It's like what other crazy shit people can tap into that as well. You know what I mean? Oh, anything they like want. nefarious characters. I don't know what they would do with it, but you know what I mean. It's like who knows? Look at what the Russians did. Right. I mean, they they were able to manipulate this. Uh, well, I don't know if I don't know how successful you can actually say they were. I don't know enough about it, but they, um, they were able to do some things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
that's the thing though. like you think the fucking cia hasn't been doing this kind of shit or you know they've done a lot worse they've propped up dictators and assassinated people and whatnot for for decades yeah i mean i don't think there's any reason to believe that they're not doing a whole lot of data analysis um and in fact isn't that what edward snowden talks about is uh with his work with the NSA, isn't that what he talks about? Oh, wait, was Edward Snowden with the NSA or the CIA? No, I'm forgetting. It's I don't, a CIA, I don't even right? remember. Well, anyway, uh, he talks about that a lot, all of the data analysis that they're doing to basically monitor the U.S. population. And if you watch, oh, I'm talking about things that, <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm bringing up something that I don't remember all the facts, but oh, fine. just Google Edward Snowden and watch his movie <laughs> <laughs> or watch the documentary. I need to have a fucking little intern here, <laughs> like like on Joe Rogan's, but I need a, ja- a young Jamie. I don't know, do you listen Do you listen to any podcasts, by the way? Yeah, I, I listen to Joe Rogan every now and then. I listen to Sam Harris, um, and then I listen to a lot of astrophysics and physics type podcasts because... I don't know. I like those. I like uh, to think about neutrinos going through my body. Like that's so rude. Neutrinos. Like, come on, rape culture. Hello. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm to- I'm fucking on that cosmology <laughs> thing too. I was watching a something the other day. I think it was on the Science Channel, and it was showing like these two black holes merging. And oh wow, like the solar masses. It was something like one was like twenty solar masses. The other was like. 15 or something anyway so they merged creating like the explosion was the amount of energy release was so violent and so incredible that like a like a certain percentage of the mass actually was converted to energy and lost so the resultant black hole was actually a little bit smaller in mass Mm -hmm. than the combined masses of the black holes because like because it was just so much so crazy like 1% 1% of it mm-hmm. was converted directly into energy and it created gravitational waves, oh, which were yeah. detected. So cool, man. <laughs> I was reading about that too. Gravitational waves. So crazy. <laughs> and then they were talking about um, supermassive black holes and they were like, well, there's these things happen so infrequently that it would be impossible for this to be the cause of what created supermassive mm-hmm. black holes. So these regular like solar mass um level black holes even if it would take too long for them to reach the mass of the giant ones that we have at the center of of our galaxies Mm -hmm. and uh they were talking about how even the soul the these supermassive black holes probably there's a similar um i guess process at work where Mm -hmm. they will merge Mm -hmm. and create the same thing but can you imagine the amount of energy when because i think whenever you're talking supermassive black hole you're talking into like a hundred plus solar masses mm-hmm. so a hundred times one like our mat like mm-hmm. we use our sun's mass mm-hmm. as that base level so a hundred times the mass of our sun merging with another black hole with equal mass mm-hmm. that's and crazy that's just ins- that's, yeah that's a lot of energy man it's a whole lot of energy hey speaking um as a fellow astrophysics enthusiast what do you think about these flat earth peeps <laughs> <laughs> pretty crazy right they're all up on nasa's facebook page like nasa will um nasa will post a picture of like you know like a, a computer generated illustration of you know like a star around 
whatever, just anything. And they come on, it's like, they're like, fake news, that's obviously fake. It's like, yeah, it's fake because we don't have the telescopes to see stars and other nebulas. <laughs> like, so we just have to use these illustrations. I remember first encountering Flat Earth back in like 19, like the early days of my exposure to the internet in like 97, 98, something like that in high school. I remember encountering it then and I didn't give it much thought. So it's, I think it's been around for, it's something that's been in the popular consciousness for a while, probably back, I would say like the 70s, 80s, if you really delved into it. I have, I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not a flat earth conspiracy mm -hmm. scholar, but <laughs> I think it's something that's been around, but my only recent exposure is like, you know, I hear Joe, Joe Rogan and fucking like Eddie mm -hmm. Bravo talking about the goddamn flat earth. All the time. Mm -hmm. Well, I did a little bit of, uh, I did an analysis of web searches for flat earth uh -huh. with flat earth key terms. And th the searches have gone up, uh, gosh, like the chart takes a huge steep, um, do we have some hockey sticking? Yes, there's hockey <laughs> sticking. Thank you. And that started, honestly, just a couple of years ago. I wish I had looked at that data before I came here so I could remember, but it, it was fairly recently. There's been a huge spike in interest in flat earth stuff. Now, of course, I really can't separate um, if their interest was like, yeah, I believe in right. this, or if yeah. they're just like, who are these flat yeah, earth? The yeah, like, what flat is, earth? That's are you crazy. I'm just going to like search this. <laughs> But yeah, it's pretty funny. It's I I actually kind of like the idea. I kinda, you know, in a weird way, I can see why it appeals. Like I kind of can see why someone would be interested in that. I like the idea that uh, the edge of the Earth is is just like an ice wall, like Game of Thrones. <laughs> like you could go to the wall. But the fucking land of always winter is beyond the wall, right? Where the White Walkers yeah. are just kicking it, <laughs> turn it, turning babies into White Walkers. With the touch, the Midas touch. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But like we couldn't fly a fucking plane or something over the ice wall. That's always what like Joe Rogan's talking about. Can mm -hmm. we fucking like, we got drones, we get, we've got technology. Can't we just take a peek over and, and see what's out there? But Cooper, do you think that would even convince them? I Probably mean, not. I mean, if somebody flew a plane over, over Antarctica... They would just say, fake news, that's obviously fake, like the moon landing, you know? <laughs> I mean, they're not, no, no evidence, they, there's all the evidence in the world, and they're still convinced the earth is flat, so I'm not convinced that would do any good. Very true. I guess we'd have to, we got to fly all the fucking flat earthers mm -hmm. to and Antarctica. there's probably not that many of them. To the, put to them the all on a wall. plane. <laughs> <laughs> we could just fucking stack them up in one of those jumbo Army. But, but Cooper, you could have like, um, you could have the windows could be computer simulations <laughs> or they could be drugged. They could be drugged. There's an answer for anything. They could figure out a way to explain anything that you did to prove to them that the earth was not flat. I'm sure. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> they could have been put in like a, you know, like um virtual reality thing. And I don't know. I wonder if Flat Earth is like some kind of CIA or NSA psyop that they're just like trying to fuck with people. <laughs> like, well, let's just, let's see what happens. Let's see what kind, let's run a little study and see how many people we can fuck with and trigger into becoming a Who Flat knows? Earth believer. Who knows? It, it, I kind of almost hope so because you hate to think that there's people just like that stupid. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I kind of almost hope it's, there's something more sophisticated at play. I don't know. I think there's, there's some type of psych, you know, there's a psychology at play with when it comes to conspiracy theories. And I mean, even though like, I mean, I, obviously there are real conspiracies too. That's like, mm-hmm, that's another mm-hmm. thing. It's like, there's fucking absolutely mm-hmm. conspiracies at work, you know, maybe not on the scale that a flat earth or the moon landing. I don't know if I buy into that quite that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, there's like an appeal to knowing something that no one else knows. And you want to like, they're like, you oh, wanna, and then you feel special. Then you want to evangelize mm-hmm. to your friends and like, Mm-hmm. Uh, let me reveal the this truth to you. Yes, because you're, truth you're of just so woke, you know? <laughs> so woke on the flat earth issue. Not a sheeple anymore. <laughs> you know? I mean, myself, I'm more, I'm more concerned with the inner, interdimensional psychic vampires, to be honest. <laughs> Number one biggest threat to America. Oh, interdimensional gosh. Don't give me more things to vampires. worry about. Gosh. <laughs> I already can't sleep at night, Cooper. Jeez. That's that's that shit Alex Jones is on. He's talking about the, psych, the interdimensional psychic... Gay frogs! Child molesters. I don't even know, right? All, all, man, all kinds of stuff. I don't even know either. <laughs> He's got all... Uh, every, like, um, humanoid spread by animal, human-animal hybrids. Is that what one thing he's mentioned? Um pollution in the water turning the frogs gay like he just comes up with some weird shit with just like it might have like just some small kernel of truth or something just enough to like just enough to like like, just enough gain like a little bit of a foothold and then he can just blow it up into something but do you really think he believes all that shit or is he you think he's like a, a true believer here's the thing um people with I think he probably has narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm not a psychologist, but he kind of looks like a textbook case of a narcissist. And the thing about narcissists is that they lie, but they they believe their lies. Like they actually believe them. You you couldn't they would pass a lie detector test <laughs> with flying colors because whatever they're saying at the moment, they're buying into it because they in their minds they're so they're just like the source of truth like anything must be true anything they say must be true just because they said it does that make sense yeah because because they're so um it's a form of tautology essentially you know some big words cooper (laughs) fucking (laughs) i don't know what that is i said Tautology, it's, it's like a circular argument. Um, right, exactly. That Now that you say it like that, yeah. It's like, I always tell the truth. Yeah, so therefore, every, I, if yes. I say it's true, mm-hmm. exactly, you got it. So, I, so, yeah, I think he actually does buy into what he's saying at the moment that he's saying it. I, I think he's a deeply disturbed individual. And honestly, I find, I would find him, I find him hilarious and entertaining. And I wouldn't be bothered by him if he didn't actually influence people. You know, if, well, if certainly he didn't. now, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got the he's got Trump's ear. I mean, in the nineties, <laughs> I used to listen to his radio show, and I I used to listen to it almost every day, and I honestly thought it was just a joke, and I thought that's how and you know I wasn't on the internet as much back then, so I just assumed everybody else took it like it was a joke. It's I can't believe where we're at now. I just can't believe it. 
I've actually seen 9-11, The Road to Tyranny. I've seen one of those, one of those DVDs. <laughs> I actually used to, uh, I interned here in Austin for a production company. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys that did like motion graphics work had worked with Alex, mm-hmm. like on some of his DVDs <laughs> back in the day doing editing and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've actually seen that. And oh, fuck, what else was I going to say? Something about fucking Alex Jones. Yeah, I'll think of it later. <laughs> But, what yeah, did he, I've actually but do you remember what he said, shit. like the, the video editor that you worked with? Did he say anything about Alex Jones like that was interesting or? Uh, it's been so long ago that I don't remember. Mm. But oh, I know what I was going to bring up as well was you heard about the lawsuits he's been under. So like, yeah, that's when he came out and said, oh, no, th- I'm just a performance artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yes, I remember this. It Like is what is he really? Does he really? believe that he's a performance artist that's what kind of what the genesis of my question was like it, is he just using this as an excuse because <laughs> or is he really fucking a true believer i think if you're a narcissist like he is in the moment that he says i'm a performance artist i would bet that he believes it <laughs> but then a moment later when he's saying something else he believes that too I don't think that he works with the same kind of logic that a normal person works with. Does that make sense? This is all conjecture on my part. but I don't think you have to argue very strongly to make me agree that (laughs) Alex Jones functions on a different logical plane (laughs) than the majority of us, certainly you and I. (laughs) But what really astounded me about about that whole thing is when I found out how much he was paying his ex-wife. I can't remember off the top of my head how much it was, but it is a metric boatload of money. It is so much money. I wish we had that intern that could Google it <laughs> right. for me right now because it's a lot of money. Infowars is raking in cash like nobody's business. Man, selling fear and fucking chaos is profitable. <laughs> He's got that formula down that I was talking about earlier when say, when I was saying you know I could do my anti-feminist channel and show my cleavage you know he's got that formula down like crazy and he is monetizing it you know it's funny he was in a couple of richard linkletter films i remember waking life he's like fucking with the bullhorn driving around (laughs) oh you little bastards oh oh." well keep in mind the globalists are coming (laughs) they're gonna get us Ah. well keep in mind that's back when we thought he was kind of a joke (laughs) i mean we seriously oh man yeah. Fucking Alex Jones. I would still, I'll fucking have, if Alex has the the balls to come on this podcast, I'd have him on. Oh I'd man, fu- it would be so good. I, I, you, it would be so good. He was, the last I time. I bet it would, he would feel like it was beneath him though. But, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. He'd be like, oh, this, this fucking globalist. He's probably <laughs> a psychic <laughs> grandma arsenal. And I get my precious <laughs> bodily fluids. <laughs> gas me with some type of nerve gas. <laughs> oh man. But I would, yeah, I'd fucking have Alex Jones. I think it'd be awesome to have him have him on. Just, it would be entertaining just to like if fucking, nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Just to sit back and and watch. Mm-hmm. The last time he went on Joe Rogan's podcast, like they were fucking, they were drinking and smoking weed, <laughs> <laughs> and he got Alex fucked up. You'll have to go back and watch it. It's it's pretty entertaining. That's funny. That how, how did that? I didn't watch that podcast. How did it? go down i think joe rogan's a pretty reasonable guy i don't agree with everything that he says but i i yeah. think he's actually tries to be a reasonable logical guy uh, yeah i definitely 
I have a lot of respect for his, like, to some degree. I mean, he's definitely more along the libertarian, like, traditional right. kind of thing than, than I am. I'm definitely more mm-hmm. left-leaning, but he's he's definitely tries to think critically, I think, and have an honest dialogue mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that. So, you know, more power to him. But he claims that him and Alex go back, like, years. Like, they've really? known it for, like... 20 years or something i don't know how the fuck those two yeah i don't know i think maybe joe i think joe like years ago was probably more of a conspiracy he was like Mm -hmm. probably heavily into conspiracy theories yeah i can see that i can see that you know what i mean he kind of gives off that libertarian and conspiracy theorists they there seems to be like a lot of cross pollination with that set oh i definitely agree man (laughs) did you ever um what? There was another pretty widespread internet phenomenon video. Uh, not like Loose Chains or any of those lame ones, but it was like Zeitgeist. There was like Zeitgeist 1 and 2. Uh, I remember. It was like the first one was I just talking. I them, but I remember them. I was kind of going through like discussing fractional reserve banking and how mm-hmm. like currency and money is all kind of bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like religious angles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then further, I forget what the last conspiracy was, but I don't know. It was pretty actually kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of talking about how a lot, maybe like how Christianity kind of glommed on to these concepts that have been around since like a little bit from ancient Egypt and Sumeria. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you're like things like the Epic of Gilgamesh mm-hmm. having like, you know, influencing the story of the flood and noah and whatnot but it would i mean that was kind of like the basic historical mm-hmm. analysis of it mm-hmm. you should check those out i'll check them out I think <laughs> just for not i mean i don't know what actual like intellectual merit they really have mm-hmm. but i think it's an interesting phenomenon mm-hmm. i think the thing about conspiracies is that they resonate with people when they feel true and sometimes conspiracies take something that's obvious and make it sound like way sinister like money is bullshit like right. money is just it mo- there's some physical money in the world but mostly it's just data in a database and all these yeah. different financial institutions it's not it's a social construct by definition yeah, um right and i think if someone never really thought of that before because you know when you grow up in a society like ours money you just think money is like this real thing yeah, with like intrinsic hip- value, right? And that's kind of what I'm talking about when I'm saying like there's a base, right? There's a base operating system, mm-hmm. and that's part of it is like oh money, like you don't, no one really is thinking about what it actually is or represents, or like they're just using it, right? They're not mm-hmm. thinking. We don't talk about why mm-hmm. or what it is exactly. You know what I mean? So if someone watches a documentary like that and they've never really thought of this, and then someone explains it to them and they're like whoa that's oh my god this is this must all be so true because that's so true you know you yeah right you take you take stuff that feels true and you put a little bit of truth in it and then your conspiracy theory sounds totally legit another reason why i think capitalism is bullshit (laughs) fucking money is made up and you fucking yeah. small government libertarians, you need the government because they're the ones that may, you know, back up your fucking currency with violence. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's like they enforce 
the dollar as the reserve current or not the reserve mm -hmm. currency but the currency that you know what i mean mm -hmm. so think I, about I it it's like I if, just it, if it's all just alternative is though like i mean maybe i'm just so <clears throat> mired in this in this system that it's hard for me to see outside of it but i just i don't know what else you have in the place of of this the money system that we have now yeah i'm just I don't know. It just doesn't feel right that it's just made up and it's sitting on computers somewhere and it, you know what I mean? I don't know. Just with all the fucked up shit that happens on a daily basis that's driven by money, the fact that it doesn't really mean anything, it just, I don't know. That just kind of undermines its legitimacy in a, in a major, major way for me. Do you remember um, the first time you watched Fight Club? Oh, fucking, I ate that shit up. <laughs> when, at, at the very end, when they blow up all the banks, essentially wiping out everyone's debt, did you not feel like almost a religious uh, sense of, I don't know, like rapture? <laughs> like, no, no, rapture is the wrong word. That means God takes you <laughs> to heaven. I'm sorry. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, almost like, oh my God, that feels so good. Right. Like, Yes, just blow up the banks and wipe out all of our debt. This feels good. Not not that I even want that, but God, it just felt so good. And I love that part of that movie. Man, there's so many contradictions in that film. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not talking about the whole film. I'm talking well, I'm, about no, just I'm, like the very ending. But yeah, there was a I, I mean, <laughs> I was like, I was in high school. That, that film and book and whole that thing really, really influenced me majorly at that time of my mm -hmm. life. I mean, like, huge. It's like... Mm -hmm. Did you a, start a fight club? <laughs> <laughs> I did not start a fight club, but I, it probably... It, did you give yourself a special snowflake speech in the mirror? It introduced like, <laughs> me to to nihilism or nihilism, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Probably most importantly. Um, but it's like, also, it's like, it was this fascist organization. Like, once they got into... Pro project mayhem it's like a fascist it was all white man well no i guess they weren't all white were they no but they were mostly white they were predominantly mm -hmm. white working class you know that was like the servers and mm -hmm. the whatnot of society you know just and definitely all men yeah mm -hmm. the the middle children of history i think mm -hmm. right <laughs> but it's kind of interesting though too it's like Within the meta narrative of the film, you have like Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> it's Brad Pitt and Ed Norton, and they're on the bus, and they see a underwear ad on the bus, and Brad Pitt says to Edward Norton, "Is this what what you want? You want to fucking you want to say a guy's <laughs> name on your underwear?" And just the irony of Brad Pitt saying that line in itself. Uh, I don't know. Looking back, so like good. at the time, I didn't really think about it. But like looking back, do you not think just, it was intentional? I mean, David like, Fincher is a pretty fucking smart filmmaker, and Chuck Palahniuk is a great writer, or pretty good, you know, pretty solid middle brow type writer. So I honestly think the movie was better than the book. I know that's usually heresy to say, but I read the book, and they added a lot more layers in the movie. I felt like. But, you know, kind of, you know, wonder if that was an intentional joke. Right. I would, you know, I wouldn't put it past Fincher mm -hmm. to be doing something like that. 
-hmm. But I mean, I don't really know a lot about David Fincher's like personal politics or philosophy, but he definitely makes dark films, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he's a fucking badass director. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's all I know about him. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious. <laughs> what other films have you made? I he did the Social Network, Zodiac, Alien Three. I see a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's crazy. That's a good. That, I don't know. I might. I should actually go back and view that film. I remember really enjoying it the first time I watched it. But I wonder if I would watch it now and and have like a lot of um, criticisms or see yeah. things that maybe I didn't see on the first viewing. I feel like the alt-right has kind of latched on to they Fight have. Club, right? Mm -hmm. I think the one of the things in particular is the speech that uh, Tyler Durden gives about, you are not a special snowflake. Yeah, the fucking Dude, snow. Yeah, and they really want to um, rail against what they call SJWs with, with that concept of, you are not a special snowflake. That whole backlash, God, it gets on my fucking nerves. It's so very annoying. <laughs> it's just like, whatever. Yes, I think that there's been a little bit of an overreach or like identity politics. I mean, I think it's easy for me to say that too. It's like, if you're a privileged, if you're a part of the privileged class or identity, right? You know, it's, it's you can't really, it's easy for you to say, oh, well, you're just, you're just a special mm -hmm, snow. It's mm -hmm. easier to dismiss you, right? Because I don't have that experience. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe they have, it's gone a little bit far, Outrage right? culture is annoying. Yeah. It like, really, let, yeah. Let's just be honest. True. Outrage culture let you is I'll, very I'll, annoying. And I, and I'm happy to say that. And if I pull up any examples, I'll make sure you're just female examples so that I don't offend <laughs> anyone, but you're just gearing up for that fucking YouTube <laughs> channel right there. Boom. Content. Write no, it down. But it's just, it's annoying. And, and it. You know, and there is actually a legitimate complaint. It's like everyone's offended these days. Very true. Yeah, people need to... Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to go on a fucking rant here <laughs> uh, about people needing to just chill the yeah. fuck out. Yeah. Like, and God it's damn. like nobody has a sense of humor fucking anymore. Fucking chill. Like, everybody's <laughs> like, Duh! It's like, Duh! All the time with the craziness. Like, fucking ISIS... <laughs> Chill the f hey, just just fucking take a chill just pill, chill bro. Out, man. Like goddamn. Come on. Like, think about people that are like just living open up a bottle of wine, right? You know, like kick back to some tunes, just chill. Eat a fucking edible THC brownie <laughs> or something, and just fucking calm the fuck down. Yeah, everybody's wound up so tight all the time, and and just get angry and offended. At the drop of a dime. I'm not even kidding. Like on that um, Facebook post I was talking about earlier, I took a picture with that guy and he had a Kekistani flag and um, in a Roman costume. And my friends on Facebook are like, Roman imagery was was really prominent with the Nazis. So he's definitely a Nazi. It's like, <laughs> seriously, it's, you, that's what you've extrapolated is that this guy is definitely a Nazi. I mean, it definitely goes to sort of an imperialist, violent, you know what I mean? There's violent imagery, whether, I mean, absolutely there's the Nazi tie as well, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, you know what I mean? I see what you're saying, too. I 
guess like, there's, I there's feel two, like I would have to actually there's two sides sit to that down coin. and talk to this guy and ask him, like, what does this mean to you? Right. Like, what what does it mean to you when you put on this Roman costume? And there I would decide if I think he's a Nazi. <laughs> right, yeah. Because he might, because at the same time, he's also just an, he looks like he's like an 18 or 19 year old kid and he might just think that he looks cool in a Roman or he likes <laughs> soldier to, outfit. He likes to, I don't know. <laughs> Like, I think a lot of these people just like to fuck with people. It's mm-hmm. like just to get a reaction. Like and they the know whole, it's going to trigger. They love to trigger SJWs. The whole <laughs> troll mentality. of like, Exactly. Oh, man. The troll mentality. I think you hit the nail on the head. He may not be a Nazi, but he might know that he's going to trigger some SJWs by wearing, you know, like yeah. that's a lot of what the goal is. <laughs> it's still, it's fucking sad, though, that. People that claim that they stand for social justice, like are it's are a joke. You know what I mean? Like that gives me that makes me feel bad. Is that mm-hmm. people that whether they're misguided or not, that their goal is to stand up for like the oppressed classes are are being made. Like they're, yeah. now they're being it's like, hilarious trying to help the like oppressed people that have been sort of systematically put down for like all of history. And trying to help them out. What a joke. Like, what kind of idiot? <laughs> yeah, you're... You're trying to help people? Well, you're a fucking asshole. Fucking snowflake. Yeah. You know, trying to give rights to trans men and women. Jeez, like... Right? I mean, I think that fucking absolutely matters what you call things and people. Mm-hmm. I mean, words do have... They have a power. Mm-hmm. It may be made up, but... <laughs> There are, you know, it does matter. I mean, mm-hmm. look at fucking the Republicans with their boy Frank Luntz are fucking pros at this, mm-hmm. right? Oh, my God. Obamacare. Absolute. And that guy, Luntz, he is a genius. He can, he will find a word that resonates so deeply with people that it sways elections. Right. Fucking, uh, I was going to say him and he could have shown Goebbels a few things, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean... Who knows if he might have learned from the Nazi propaganda? There I to. go. I just can't help but accuse everyone of being a Nazi. <laughs> every, every Republican Everyone's is a, Nazi. a fucking Nazi. <laughs> you heard it here first. Boom. <laughs> oh man, I don't know, but it's like it's kind of like at the same time, it's like, you know I hear this backlash of like, oh, we're not all racist, we're not all Nazis, but your fucking party is run by Donald Trump. You know what I mean? He's like, pretty authoritarian, or he tries he tries to be authoritarian. Who, I, how much he's um, achieving that, I'm not sure. Like, who is the, is there, who on the left is equivalent to Trump? I can't even think of a character like that on the left no, that is that much of a fucking demagogue, dangerous person. He's unprecedented. <laughs> he, he truly is. I mean, who, like, even fucking Bill Maher is like, about his, and he's more like libertarian-ish, mm-hmm. I think, than Trump. You know what I mean? Like, I think Trump is pretty far right in terms of what he espouses now. I think Bill Maher is probably even to the right of of me. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he's probably like the only like you know what I mean, kind of incendiary. You know what I mean? He's got the kind. He like you know he's people on the right hate him, right? He's mm-hmm. kind of a smug prick. Mm-hmm. He puts God, that sort I of even thing, hate him, even right? though I agree with a lot of his politics, but he is such a smug prick. He's kind prick. of a smug prick, right? 
<laughs> and I, but you know, just like I think it's fucking to some degree, it's good. It's like there's nobody on the right that is fucking like aggressive or you know what I mean takes a real stand. It's all kind of like milk toast. I mean, we've got like we've got Chuck Schumer mm-hmm. to rely on to protect us. We've got him, mm-hmm. and we've got Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the fuck are they gonna do? Mm-hmm. Um, I just. I get offended with this fucking snowflake stuff because it's like, I'm a fucking left winger. Mm-hmm. I've worked in factories. I've done physical labor. I fucking go to the gym. I'll fucking kick your ass, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> I'll That's fucking, hilarious. I'll fucking headbutt you, dude. Don't, you want to, f- you're fucking with the wrong bull you, here. You want to call me a snowflake? Yeah. I'll show you fucking a snowflake. snowflake? <laughs> fuck, get the fuck out of here. It's, yeah, it's so stupid. And I think, and I think what's, I think what I find most infuriating about it is most of the stuff isn't even real. Most of the stuff is just like internet-based bickering, and so people uh, like I'll just talk about feminists for a second. There's so much hatred for feminists, so much hatred. And then you ask for examples of like, well, what what are feminists doing, and what do they point to? Tumblr. Some, you know, 20, 19 or 20 year old cutter that's just obnoxious and espousing stuff that is just fucking obnoxious. And it's like that, that does not represent all of feminism. <laughs> right. Some random person on an internet platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a lot of, uh, it's like a lot of the right's perception of these SJW snowflakes is is shaped by the fact that they spend too much time on the internet. Right. You know? So it's, it's not real. Like, how often do you, in real life, how often do you run into a stereotypical SJW that's just constantly railing against the patriarchy and constantly, you know, accusing men of rape, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever met anyone but that seriously is engaged in that on a you know on a consistent level or basis but i think maybe like life it's it's like fake internet bullshit (laughs) i mean to some degree i think definitely the climate on college campuses today has gotten a little bit crazier with that okay no college campus is a different kind of reality yeah it's like a weird but i think crazy bubble that's where the battleground is more apparent i think between these two groups and i think that's where the clashes are Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of uh no i i I have to agree with you on college campuses. It, it, it is kind of like the physical embodiment of that internet culture I'm talking about. Especially now with like digital, you know, kids that have mm-hmm. grown up digital natives. Like that's a totally different world. Mm-hmm. And there, you know what I mean? I don't, that stuff wasn't around like social justice warriors. I don't know. It might've been a thing like just starting. I don't know. I wasn't, tapped into internet subcultures as thoroughly at that point Mm -hmm. to know for sure but it definitely wasn't the you know what i mean i hear these crazy stories on podcasts because i can i you know i listen to sam harris too a little bit and uh josh zepps Mm -hmm. and fucking and joe and they can't you know they're always like bringing the fucking jordan peterson on to talk about all social justice and cultural marxism Mm -hmm, blah blah mm -hmm. blah. (laughs) cultural marxism whatever dude i don't think you fucking understand what postmodernism is jordan peterson it's like well that's not exactly what postmodernism mm-hmm. is bro sorry that's kind of my criticism <laughs> of jordan peterson yeah i love i fucking postmodern thought to me is some of the most fascinating ass elements of philosophy 
the people that he railed against, like Derrida and Foucault and all those guys. I fucking, that stuff is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever delved into that No, but world. I think there, and this is, I don't know if this happened um, as much currently as it has in the past, but there used to be a lot of conflict between, on, on university campuses, between uh, science and like the humanities with the postmodernist thought and sorry I just <laughs> oh you're fine you're good don't and the that. you know and the concept of relative truth and scientists don't like relative truth scientists want to find like what is let's test a hypothesis and find out if it's correct or not and if it's not we throw it out and so it's, I think there is like a little bit of a conflict there and I don't know so I, I tend to th- I would like to think I'm kind of a scientific thinker to yeah. some degree I'm, I I just I I am too, but I also think that cultural norm. I mean, culture influences people, and people are conducting science. Mm-hmm. So it is possible for their cultural whatever bias to or, be to be to influence framework. Yeah, to influence things. Right. Mm-hmm. It is possible. I'm not saying that it happens all the time, but it can absolutely, I think, have an impact. Mm-hmm. If, if you if you don't think that, I mean... I think that's a fair point. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. how could... I don't think that there's some kind of a priori knowledge that we're granted upon existence, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we discover information oh, man, so out in the world. so many big words, Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Fucking, I've been reading. So it basically, <laughs> it basically means, so, okay... Uh, let me break it down like this. It's kind of like Platonic philosophy. Okay. So Plato mm-hmm. had the idea of the forms, the mm-hmm. ideals mm-hmm. that are out there, right? So those ideal, the, the forms are out there mm-hmm. permanently. They exist independent of our experience and our reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so versus the model that I'm talking about, that's a priori would mm-hmm. be there are concepts that exist outside of mm-hmm. rea- our subjective perception of okay. reality. Okay, makes are, sense objectives right mm-hmm. so that's what a priori means mm-hmm. the con the other side of that is that meaning is con- these things are constructed socially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so whenever you're born you're kind of a blank slate and your experience mm-hmm. and culture determine to a large degree who you are and what you become mm-hmm. okay combined mm-hmm. with uh you know biology mm-hmm. that's basically the breakdown of it mm-hmm. that makes sense that makes sense and i think it's a known fact about the brain i'm just gonna pull out facts i don't know if they're correct you might want to google them later <laughs> but i think it's pretty uh known that alternative facts yeah they could be alternative facts you might want to <laughs> verify um but i think it's a pretty known fact that that our our brain is limited in terms of what we can think about by our language if so in a sense our language shapes fundamentally how we can think about reality so I mean, and obviously there's different languages and languages are very tightly tied to your culture. So, I mean, when you put it like that, I think it makes total sense. Yeah. Like you can't think about something if you don't have a word for it. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's a very astute point. And that definitely taps into kind of what I'm getting at. Um, I know they've done studies on people that are bilingual and, you know, studying their brain functions mm-hmm. and whatnot mm-hmm. when they speak two different languages um, it's kind of like interesting when you start thinking about like how environment also influences that, mm-hmm. like certain cultures might have, you know, we might have 
in English like a word for snow, right? Mm -hmm. But like the Inuit people might have 14 different categories, yeah, for example. Yeah, that's a classic example. Yeah, yeah. exactly, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting. Um, what I think becomes hard to, I guess, argue against, if you will, when, mm -hmm. it, com <laughs> when it comes to postmodernism or cultural Marxism, mm -hmm. if you will, is like, <laughs> all right, if there, it's like, if there is some objective meaning out there um, that all languages, for example, are derived from, then why aren't words all the same across, why do we have different words for things across all languages, right? Mm -hmm. If there was an objective thing out there, or there's an objective concept out there mm -hmm. that we're all seeing and experiencing then why are the, why it seems like there would be a the word would be the same mm -hmm. across all languages mm -hmm. so i mean mm -hmm. i think that's an object that's an objective set of data that shows mm -hmm. that okay there's some type of subjectivity mm -hmm. to ex to language and meaning mm -hmm. right that's a fair point i think that's a fair point i mean i think it's pretty hard to argue like i i'm interested to hear if there is an oppositional you know, a strong argument against that that can place meaning out there. I think your argument makes sense. I'd have to think about it, but yeah, I mean, you're completely right. I, I studied Spanish in Spain for a few months and I was in the city, um, Vitalid and it's, it's very provincial and they are very proud of their pure Castilian Spanish and very few people speak English. And so I was forced to speak Spanish um, pretty much exclusively. I didn't speak very much English while I was there. And since I had only been studying Spanish for a few years, I wasn't really quite fluent. And to speak a language, you have to think in that language. And I have to tell you, I didn't just sound dumb. I was <laughs> dumb. I'm not kidding. This sounds like a joke, but I could only think in very limited terms and it narrowed down what I could think about, much less talk about. True. Um, it, my, it was like I had a different personality. I had a completely different personality. I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in like one of those little taverns that they have all over Spain where they have booze and coffee. And this is, this was a long time ago. Um, this was when Angela Merkel was just becoming um, the prime minister of prime minister, right? Or in Germany? Yeah, I, think, okay. I believe so. She was just, she was just coming to power. And I was sitting there watching it with this Spanish guy and he was like, Oh, I was like, what, what are you, why are you saying? Oh, and he's like, that'd be better if it was a man. <laughs> and I try, I like in my mind, the gears were turning about how to argue with him. <laughs> And I was like, I, I can't. Okay, so, okay, whatever. Yeah, it sucks that, <laughs> that a woman See? came to power. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I did not have the ability to to talk with that level of sophistication. Right. To, to really, truly argue with him about why it should be no problem that a woman is the prime minister of Germany. So, hmm. that... I feel like that story was a little too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can cut that one out. <laughs> We're getting, I think we've gotten, this has been probably the most schizoid. The <laughs> We're fucking jumping 
all over the place today, but that's fine. That's like, fuck it. That's what I want to do. Like, I want to get, I want to get big, big ideas out here and wrestle with them. So hopefully, hopefully it's entertaining. Well, feel, feel free least. to rein me in uh, and no, man. We gotta, give it some focus and I will, I will toe the line if you want me to. Oh no, there's, there's none of that. Uh, there's no line towing here. This is, this is reality. This is it's real funny. shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. We've been going for a pretty good while. Probably at a good stopping point, honestly. Unless there's any, you have any final thoughts you want to wrap up with? Um, just, you know, fight the patriarchy. <laughs> um, don't let the man keep you down.